reading this afternoon is taken from the book of Ruth, chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud, and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, Your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning.
Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's great for me to be here with you. Thank you very much for inviting me to be here with you these next four Tuesdays as we, well, you've asked me to speak on the whole of the book of Ruth, the Old Testament book of Ruth. Now, some people call the book of Ruth the greatest short story ever written. There is the love element we're going to see between Ruth and Boaz. Will they? Won't they? There is tension here in the short story. There are cliffhangers. You're left thinking, what is going to happen next? There is humour. You're laughing. There's tragedy. There are tears. And by the end, there's even a wedding and a newborn baby. Ah, And it all ends happily ever after. And this all takes place in these small, short four chapters. If you've never read the book of Ruth, take ten minutes this week. We're looking at it these next four Tuesdays. That's all it will take to read one of the greatest short stories ever written. Now, as you hear me say short story, please don't think fiction story. The Bible claims to be an accurate account of God's dealing with his world. What we're going to see here, these are real people, Ruth and Boaz. These are real events. This happened about 1100 BC in modern-day Jordan and Israel. And so what we learn about God here, we're going to learn about the same God today. This story can become our story today. Now, one of the key words in the book is the Hebrew word hesed. It comes up in today's passage in verse 8, and we'll also see it in chapter 2, verse 20, and chapter 3. And this word hesed speaks of incredibly deep, committed love towards another person. It's quite hard to translate the word hesed into a single English word. The new uh, NIV here has gone for kindness later on in verse 8. But it's much stronger than that. The word Hesed speaks of devotion, dedication, loyalty, an unbreakable bond between two people. That's the strength of this word Hesed. That's the strength of this key word in the book. It's a beautiful thing. And what we'll see, it is a beautiful thing that God freely offers all those who trust in him. So that's what we're going to see. That's the main point of this book of Ruth. So now, though, let's just dive straight into chapter 1. And in verses 1 to 5... It starts with, well, it's a tragic start. Let me read verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. That's the opening sentence of the book, always important, particularly so in Hebrew narrative. Why start the book like that? Well, do you know what it was like, the time when the judges ruled? Let me read just the final sentence from the book of Judges, which sums it all up. It comes right before the book of Ruth. Right at the end of Judges, we read this. In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. Have you seen the film Mad Max Fury Road? Do you remember the London riots? This is what it was like at the time of the judges. Social, moral chaos. No king, no rule. Everyone doing as they saw fit. I know we pride ourselves today on doing what we think is best for me, and if it feels right to you, it can't be wrong, and if we all just get along with our own idea of morality, read from judges. It's carnage when we live like that. And the shock actually here in Ruth is that it is God's people themselves who are living like this. God's people, the Israelites, who have God's word, God's law, his revelation of right from wrong, the path to life and blessing. And yet they are the ones doing as they see fit. No one seems to care. They've abandoned God's word. 
And so, verse 1, there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land because people might not care about God and his word, but God always cares. God always cares about how people treat him, his word, his world. Back in Leviticus chapter 26, God had said to his people, if you obey my word, that is the path to life and blessing. If you disobey my word, that is the path to death and famine. Start of this book, disobedience. Turning from God's word. God's word never lies. There was a famine in the land. And so, verse 2, a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, they go to live for a while in the country of Moab. That's the end of verse 1. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, over to you. Do you think this was a good move? Or a bad move? Going off to Moab. Good idea or bad idea? Humanly speaking, seems like a good idea. You need food to live. There's no food in Israel. Let's go to Moab and we can get some food. Humanly speaking, seems like a great idea. Biblically speaking, it is a terrible idea. Under the old covenant, God had specially promised his people... Blessing, prosperity, success in the land of Israel. They were meant to stay there. They were meant to depend on God for everything. They were meant to be running off to other nations. They were meant to be a blessing to the nations. And if things went wrong, if there was famine because they'd sinned, because they turned from God's word, they were meant to repent. Turn back to God. Not turn elsewhere. Do you know the name Elimelech in the Hebrew literally means my God is king? And so how tragic that Elimelech is not living up to his name and actually doing as he sees fit. What happens when everyone does as they see fit? Verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. God's word never lies. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, surely the family will turn back now. Surely they'll repent. Surely they'll return to Israel. Surely they'll confess their sin. Surely they'll turn back to God and his word. But no, verse 4. The two sons marry Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. This was something God had expressly told his people under the old covenant not to do. Not to marry foreign women. But these are the days when the judges ruled. These are the days when people, God's people had abandoned God's word. And everyone was doing as they saw fit. So guess what happens next? Verse 5. After they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, so what a tragic start to this book. Sin, famine, sin, death, more sin, more death. That's how it starts. The terrible consequences of turning away from God's word. Now, of course, we live in a time today when for many people, the Bible, God's word for us today, is something of a joke. It's offensive. It is irrelevant. 
for much of modern 21st century living in London. There is incredible, enormous cultural pressure on individuals to turn from God's word. Enormous pressure right now in the Church of England, as it discusses the definition of marriage, to turn from God's word. A nation as a whole, which just seems to be turning, has turned, is turning, it's back on God. And many people are saying, who cares? And what Ruth 1 reminds us is that God cares. God always cares. And there are always consequences. Which, by the way, doesn't mean we should expect a famine across the land of England and husbands dropping down dead. This was the old covenant, this is a special covenant with Israel. But throughout the Bible, whoever it is, wherever it is, whenever it is, turning from God's word never pays. It might seem like it at first. It might seem, sorry, it might seem like a good thing at first. I'm sure that was the case for Elimelech. Turned from God's word to get food, he got food. But not in the end, he died. Marlon and Killian were living happily for ten years. They probably thought they'd done nothing wrong. But in the end, the consequences of turning from God's word finally caught up with them. And it is just the same with us today. And we must heed the warning, wherever we're coming from today, because God does not want us to make the same mistake today as this family made back then. That's how the, the, the book of Ruth starts. A tragic start. But secondly, in verses 6 to 17, we see a gracious turn of events. Verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. Did you know this verse is one of only two times in the book of Ruth that the Lord is the subject of the sentence? God stepping in, God acting on behalf of his people, coming to their aid, providing food. Now we're not told explicitly, but presumably the nation repented and cried out to God amidst their famine. They confessed their sin to him. And the wonderful thing about the God of the Bible is there is always forgiveness with him. Always a fresh start with him. As we confess our sin, turn back to him. He comes to their aid, his people's aid. Here, as he has done time and time again, he lifts the curse, he removes the famine. And so, verse 7, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepare to return home. But as they prepare to return home, it seems that Naomi isn't herself very repentant. Because in verse 8, she tells Ruth and Orpah to stay in Moab. Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. And when Ruth and Orpah refuse, in verse 10, Naomi's at it again, in verse 11. Return home, my daughters, verse 11. Why would you come with me? Oh, I don't know, Naomi. Perhaps because these Moabite outsiders could come to know the one true God of the Bible and be forgiven and saved. And have the true meaning of life. That would be a good reason, wouldn't it, to come back with you? But Naomi can't see it in verse 13. No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And so, given the sort of anti-evangelism that uh, Naomi seems to be doing here, Orpah says, fine, you know, I'm heading back to Moab. And she kisses her mother-in-law goodbye. She walks off the pages of the Bible and we never hear of Orpah again. Poor her. But, verse 14, Ruth 
clung to her. That word clung is the same word used back in Genesis chapter 2 for how a husband clings, holds fast to his wife in marriage. This is the sort of loving commitment that Ruth is showing Naomi here. And yet Naomi's still not interested. Tries to shake Ruth off. Look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Verse 15. Go back with her. (laughs) He just does not want Ruth with her. And then we get these amazing words, famous words, in verses 16 to 17. Listen to these. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. Stunning words. Remember, Naomi, she's meant to be the believer. She's the insider. And yet she's the one all bitter about God. The Lord's against me. Go home, Ruth. Ruth remembers a Moabite. She's an outsider. And yet here she is the one demonstrating her bold faith and commitment to the God of the Bible and his people. So this is the second thing we see as we start Ruth, this gracious act, the Lord coming to the aid of his people, even though they don't deserve it, but also coming specifically to the aid of Naomi through Ruth and her absolute commitment to her. Not that Ruth is the final answer to Naomi's problems, but she is a picture of it. In the wider Bible story, most of you will know that the final answer is Jesus Christ. All of the Old Testament stories, including this one, point to him. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. This is something that Jesus literally said and did for each and every one of us. As he dies on the cross for us. The heart of the Christian message is very simple. Turning from God's word does have consequences. We've seen that. But in the person of Jesus Christ, God himself, come to earth, he was prepared to pay the ultimate consequence in our place. Where you go, I will go. Jesus went where we should have gone, to death and judgment. That's the consequences. And yet Jesus went there in our place. So we could have life with God and know God's absolute love and commitment to us today. It's a beautiful thing the way Ruth clings to Naomi. Wow, wouldn't it be amazing to have something like that today? That is what God freely offers all those who trust in him. And if you do, that is what you have. That same love and commitment. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus promised his church, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Absolute commitment. Deep love coming to the aid of his world, providing forgiveness for us. That is who Jesus is, the Son of God, the final answer, the picture we get here in Ruth 1. No greater act than this. A gracious act. Do you know it? Do you treasure it? Do you realise it? Because here in Ruth chapter 1, at this point, Naomi doesn't realise it. All we get now, in verses 18 to 22... 
is her bitter response. I mean, how would you expect, right, as you hear this, how would you expect Naomi to respond? After all that Ruth has said and done, this loving, what would you expect? Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate your love and commitment. That is amazing. Come here. Give me a hug. Something like that. I don't know. We get none of that in verse 18. When Naomi realised that Ruth was determined to go with her, she just stopped urging her. Doesn't say a word. Shrug her shoulders. Whatever. Naomi can't see how gracious this act is from Ruth and from God. And they arrive home in Bethlehem, 19 to 22. The women of the town say, can this be Naomi? And look at how Naomi describes herself now. Don't call me Naomi, that word, that name means pleasant. No, call me Mara, which means bitter. She just cannot see any positives, only negatives. She blames God. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Is that true? Did she go away full? There was famine in the land, wasn't there? She was hungry. There was moral and social chaos. Everyone was doing as they saw fit. What do you mean brought you back empty? What about Ruth? What are you saying about her? Her love, her commitment. How about the fact that you're alive when your husbands and sons are still dead? It's not true you went away full and came back empty. She can't see it. She says in verse 21, The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Maybe. But only so much as it brings her back to him. One commentator puts it like this for Christian believers today. Like Naomi, we may be so busy complaining about our emptiness that we miss the fact that God has emptied our hands only in order to fill them with something so much better. I wonder if that's you. I know it can be me at times. When it feels that God's not there, when it feels that God has turned his back on us, but really, in effect, it is us who has turned our back on him. And what we need to do is not complain or be bitter, but come back to him. Confess our sin. There's always forgiveness. There's always a fresh start. He is just as committed to us now as he was the first time we put our trust in him, or even if we haven't. The offer is there. If we ever doubt God's commitment to us, we can look again to the cross and see Jesus dying for us, taking the ultimate punishment for us, at unimaginable cost to himself. It may feel to you right now, I don't know, that the Lord is afflicting you, that the Lord has brought misfortune upon you. But that is only to draw you closer to himself. And if your life does feel empty right now, as Naomi was saying, are you open to the possibility that God might be doing this? Only so that he can fill your life with something so much better. Because that is the God of Ruth chapter 1, and that is the same God revealed in Jesus Christ today. Let me stop there. Let me say a prayer for us all. Father God, thank you very much for this wonderful, short little story that we're going to be looking at these next four Tuesdays. Thank you so much for the way it speaks of this Hesed love commitment. We're going to see it in the lives of Ruth and Boaz, Naomi. But above all, we see it in your loving commitment to us in Jesus Christ. Wherever we're coming from today, 
I pray that it would see it afresh, ultimately in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so they wouldn't be bitter, wouldn't be complaining, would be rejoicing and show that same love and commitment to others today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.